Strachan and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. And Cooper puts it in with his legs. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break. And as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time. Knowing that really, all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net. Hello and welcome to the Here We Go podcast. I am your trialist host, Martin Ingram, and with me, uh, well, not with me as ever, but with each other as ever, um, our long-standing uh, hosts and contributors. First of all, my namesake, Martin Clunas. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Martin. And Richard Hay. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Thank you, Martin. How's, how's it going so far? The opening 30 seconds been okay for you? Yeah, it's been a, a rollercoaster ride so far. Hopefully I can keep it together for the next hour or so. Okay, good. Solid debut. Solid debut last week. So uh, if you build up, <laughs> man, you'll be fine. Excellent. So, first of all, let's have a look back at the action from last Saturday. Um, as we know, Aberdeen had a trip to Perth to take on that most exciting of opponents, St Johnston. Um, as I think we very briefly alluded to on the last podcast, the kind of typical uh, dogfight of a match where normally only one goal settles it, even if there is a goal at all. Fortunately, not only was there a goal last Saturday, but it came for us. So uh, a scrappy, but uh, well, well-deserved, I suppose we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, so first of all, at the very start of the game, um, we were given... Uh, a, a very nice birthday gift from the birthday boy, Andy Considine, minutes into the match. Uh, a through ball from Graham Shinney had put uh, Boyan Boyavsky in on goal. Uh, Andy, as has often been his case in his uh, career, couldn't help but just have a tug of a shirt just outside the box. Uh, and after a VAR check, although we did have a penalty, which was later uh, reviewed to being just outside the box, it did mean that... Andy Considine was given his early marching orders. So I'll start with my namesake, Martin. Um, agree agree with the outcome? I think so. Um, I think, you know, we, we rode our luck at times in the game. Um, and particularly toward, you know, when, when, we, when, when they were down to 10, obviously they were only with 11 for six minutes. Uh, but there were points when they had 10, you know, and teams are always going to come into the game a little bit, um, you know, and whether they're, whether they're down to down to ten or not, so they they, they had a, they came they came in and they had a few chances and probably a little bit too many chances for my liking. I think that no, while we weren't quite clinging on um, for the three points, uh, I think that you know, the, we got the professional result out of the way and we got the three points. We got that done, but I think that we could have been a little bit more uh, more. Say proactive, possibly in that second half, where it really was just the game. 
as we know it's going to be, it's going to be a shit fest down there. I know Richard and I are are really are just fed up by talking about how know what these types of games are. But but we you know but you know that and the players will know that as well. And Barry Robson will well know that he's been in and around Scottish football long enough. He's been at Aberdeen long enough. He knows what happens down there. I'm sure he's probably pretty good mates with Callum Davidson. So he probably knows what know exactly what to expect, what type of manager. They've, they'll have been and done badges and all these dinners and all this kind of nonsense together. So they'll know what to expect from a team like that. And I guess that, you know, at this point of the season, and we spoke last week about the three games that we had coming up, um, and it was really, it was about getting results. You know, you, you obviously you want to impress and you want to, you know, maybe get a few goals here and there and bump up, try and, you know, recover the goal difference that was obviously take a, took, has taken a bit of a hit this season with you know, the the four or five and the six. But we, I think it's, it's fair to say that we deserve, deserve the win. It was, a, it was a stupid sending off for Considine. I mean, he gave us, he, you know, it was his birthday, but he gave us a gift there. Um, you know, I, it's, this, is, this probably is going to be a popular thing, but I actually feel quite sorry for him now. Um, I've seen St. Johnson a few times when they've been on the telly, um, and it really is, it's it's gone for him. I think um, it shows that it was the right decision to let him go. Um, he certainly shouldn't. He certainly doesn't have the ability to be a starter. I don't think in the in the the top division anymore. And so I feel a little bit bad for him. Had he been, had he still been here, he he wouldn't have been a starter. Um, definitely not anyway, but it, it shows how much he's how much he's slipped, and it's I, I, I feel quite bad for him. And as you mentioned, you know he, he likes a he likes a grab of a shirt. He likes to get a bit what's the way Hansy Hansy. There you go. That's, that's what I was looking for. He likes to get a bit Hansy. He always did, um, and you know this time, you know it, it was it was to our benefit <laughs> rather than the benefit of well rather than the benefit of Celtic. It usually was, wasn't it? Um, so it was our benefit this time, and so I, I, I do no, I do feel a bit bad for him, uh, but not bad enough that and I would have been willing to say, well, no, we can split the points between the two teams. Um, we we just we, we got no, we got the we got the three points, and I think it was it was well it was well deserved. But particularly that second half, I'd have liked us to have been a little bit more professional, a little bit more proactive, and just maintaining control of the ball because I don't think we did that very well. Um, in that second 45. Anyway, Martin, to bring it back to your original question about the Andy Constantine sending off before Martin went on a massive spiel about the whole game. Uh, yeah, I think it was. <laughs> no, no, that's absolutely fine. I think it was the right call. It looked very innocuous when you saw it first time in real speed, didn't it? It was, uh, it was the slightest of pullbacks, but yeah, there weren't any real complaints from him. It was, it was a foul... He was the last man. I'm quite surprised the referee didn't actually immediately reach for the red card. I don't know whether he thought because he'd given a penalty kick, double jeopardy comes into play. But you can't really say that that was a proper attempt, genuine attempt to get the ball, can you? Uh, whether he thought they were covering defenders, perhaps that was the issue. And yeah, we have it's something we've seen and something that used to happen quite early in games as well against Celtic when he was at Aberdeen. I'm not quite on Martin's bandwagon about him. Uh, completely falling away looking at a place. I mean, he's made 27 starts for St Johnston this season, which is... Uh, 27 is not a bad number of starts for somebody that apparently isn't good enough to start in the SPFL. 
Um, and I know that St. Johnson fans are pretty happy with his displays generally, but they wouldn't have been happy with that on Saturday, with it coming so early. It presented us with an incredible opportunity to uh, go and take command of the game, one which we never truly grabbed, I have to say. Yeah, so on the Andy Considine front, I have to admit I was one of the perpetrators of the terrible Agent Considine shtick on Twitter that afternoon, but... Um... It certainly came in well for us, but you're, you're absolutely right. Although we did have the advantage of 10 men for the majority of the match, it, it was never really a game that we totally dominated. And um, it's actually one of the marks of Jim Goodwin's era um, that when we got a 10-man advantage, we normally did make that count and ended up um, running off to a comfortable victory. But... It was a, a far more scrappy affair, albeit, of course, this one was away from home and against maybe maybe our more dogged opposition in St. Johnston. But although we didn't dominate the match, we, we at least got the goal that gave us the win, ultimately. Uh, corner kick from Johnny Hayes that Angus MacDonald managed to read in the front post, got his toe on the, on the cross, managed to put it on target and by hooker, by crook, Remy Matthews somehow manages to not only make the save, but then bundle it into the net through his own feet. So, Richard, first of all, is that an Angus McDonald goal, or do we just have to admit that by the letter of the law, that's an OG? I, I was always kind of of the, mind, of the mind that the initial shots on target are going to be a goal, which should probably stand for um, the attacking player. But uh, that said, Matthews' first movement is pushing the ball in a different direction, away from goal, and then he drags it in. To be fair, if he hadn't kicked it into his own net, Majofsky was loitering and probably would have knocked it in if it had gone, um, if it had come out on the trajectory it was looking like it was coming out on. But again, early early signs were that St Johnston were were ready to give us a, a good game and come at us. They had a couple of decent openings in the first five minutes, two good Calarus saves, one of them from Andy Considine. But after that red card, it all became, and it might have been this way anyway, but it all became about containment from St. Johnson. Even when they went behind, it was all about making sure they were still still somewhere in the game. So the last 10, 15 minutes, they could then exert a little bit of pressure. You know, it, Martin rightly pointed out, everyone knows in advance that these St. Johnson Aberdeen games are going to be barely watchable at the best of times. Atmosphere drains out of um, out of the ground when when these matches happen as well. Out of the last seven matches in Perth, six of them have finished one nil. Now somehow we've managed to steal and bundle a win out the back door five times in those games, and I cannot honestly say in any of those five wins that we truly deserved it. Um, there was a one nil win to St Johnston uh, at the tail end of last season with Jim Goodwin. And there was a completely forgettable lockdown nil-nil draw down there as well. So yes, the last seven games between the two at Perth, there's been a total of six goals. Few of them have been as uh, comical as the one on uh, the one on Saturday. I mean, I don't think his positioning, Matthew's positioning, is great. He seems a little bit too far to the back post um, for McDonald's near post effort. McDonald does well to direct it on target. We have to say that, but. It should absolutely be being dealt with and, and uh, more confidently and, and uh, more comfortably 
then um, Matthews ended up dealing with it. I think it will ultimately have to go down as an own goal, but uh, but credit to McDonald and to Pollock, who are both dangers at set pieces. And that's something with um, the sort of the centre halves that we had starting the season that we weren't really seeing either. I know um, we did get one goal. I think it was against Kilmarnock at home, wasn't it, from Anthony Stewart uh, from a corner. But um, they just didn't seem to have the same sort of aggression and desire to win the ball that both Pollock and McDonald bring, both in our box and in the opposition box. So um, for a team like us, who maybe away from home certainly aren't the most creative, if we can make use of set pieces, make good use of set pieces, then that becomes really important for us. Martin, as Richard mentioned, um, one of the good things about both Angus McDonald from this weekend and Matty Pollock the previous weekend is that we have two centre halves who are now carrying a goal threat going forward but perhaps more importantly more fundamentally that's now the second game in a row that we've managed to record a clean sheet so I think you asked me this question last week so I'll pose it back to you this week um, does this mean that under Barry Robson the defence has been easy to fix? Um, I, don't, I don't know about easy um, because obviously we did play 84 was it? 84 minutes against 10 men um, but it certainly seems to be that you know the, the centre halves that we have starting now are either they're either more conf, they're more aware and confident in the role that they're being given than the previous centre halves were, um, and I now obviously that's because of, there's a different manager, you know, um, Anthony Stewart you know is out on loan at the moment, so um, there's been a, there's been that change there. So these two guys have came in, you know. Whether you know whether they'll be able to, they'll, they'll be able to keep hold of one or both of them um, potentially is a, is a thing, but I wouldn't say it looks like it's been easy to fix. But you know, there's clearly been there's clearly been an influence there from Robson and probably Agnew as well, where it's just kind of you know it's it's the old it's the old phrase it just keep it simple, stupid, you know, don't do silly things, don't try and go on you know. If you're if no, if you're under pressure, don't try and go on mazy runs or pick out passes that you've got no chance of doing of making. Just you know, do the basics and do the basics well. And you've got to say that both of them have have done that for us. And you know, it's a, like say another clean sheet. You know, um, when you know when you look at the when when not that not that many of us will be looking back on this season and looking through the record books. I'm sure, um, given some of the shameful shameful results. Um, in the in the first part of it, but you know when you look back, it'll just it'll show an, another another clean sheet. We kept you no, know, we kept we kept another team out, and that's that is always good. You know, that's what they want to do as defenders. You know they want to keep clean sheets, and if they can get on the get on the with the score sheet, brilliant. Um, but the fact that they're they're keeping clean sheets and carrying the threat is always encouraging. And like I said last week, not getting carried away with myself. But it gives you a reason, another reason to be positive, looking looking towards the 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 last part of this season. Yeah, I mean, it, it absolutely speaks to clear, straightforward instructions, good work on the training ground, and a good understanding and partnership built up by the two men, especially when you consider that they both arrived at the end of January. What I would also note, though, is that um, since about minute 60 in the Dun United game, we have gone back to a three at the back, which I think has helped 
And we've also seen a bit of a renaissance from Liam Scales as well, proving that he can actually be quite a competent defender because there hadn't been too much evidence of that in the first part of the season. Um, they are obviously as well getting more support from the guys in front of them. You've got two um, more defensive-minded midfielders, shall we say. I, I don't think Shinny is an out-and-out defensive midfielder, but you've got Ramadani and Shinny there providing it. It's, it's a much more compact and much more solid shape than anybody to break down. Uh, it is worth noting that change because for the first hour at Tanadice, we were very much second best using a four at the back system. And the cheat, even though I think we went, we were one 0 up when he did change, um, and then we were just much more effective at stopping their threat from wide positions and also allowing someone like Clarkson to get up the park and influence things up the park. And it was his two assists that ended up helping us to the win at Tanadice that day. And the system worked incredibly well against Hearts of Pitodra, just the way our midfield three totally dominated their midfield three. Now, there was less... Um, I don't know whether the, the, the early sending off had an impact on this, but there was less evidence of our shape and our um, tactical options really making the difference on, on Saturday. Saturday was just one of those games where we get the advantage early on numerically and we get a little bit of luck with a goal. We don't do enough from that point onwards, and we are then indebted. The defence do well, but uh, Kalarus does does really well. Um, as I mentioned, there were two smart saves early on. Then he's not really in action for quite a long time, but that save right on full time is, uh, is really important. Maybe it was hitting the bar anyway, but um, just... Uh, a goalkeeper who hasn't been, I, I would argue, hasn't been a shining light, shall we say. He's been he's been okay, um, but I don't get the sort of feverish praise that a lot of people put on him. Um, but he proved his worth and he proved his mettle uh, towards the end of the game on Saturday. Well, it was certainly a fantastic save he made right at the very end of the game, managing to push Aleem Gordon-Herdor just onto the crossbar. Um, I did say on Twitter on Sunday I was heading to the Aberdeen FC women's game um, and Kel Roos is normally a pretty regular attendee at those games. His wife, Nadine Hansen, plays for the women's team um, and I was fearful that if I saw him in person then I wouldn't be able to resist the urge to give him an attack hug. Um, as it happens, I didn't see him at the game so whether he caught wind of the fact that... Um, uh, a six foot six bearded guy was going to roughly accost him. I don't know, but um, thankfully for Kel, and, may and maybe thankfully for me, because it may well have led to police action. Uh, nothing like that came to fruition. Um, the the last thing, and again, you did touch on this, Richard, um, a very late and, dare I say, unnecessary second yellow card that Graham Shinney received for uh, uh, a bit of a rash swipe now interestingly enough i think on the sports scene highlights they were saying that's graham shinney's first ever red card and i think he was well known in his first tenure at aberdeen as being a player that wiley would very frequently receive an early booking he was incredibly good at managing his performance throughout the rest of the game to to ensure that uh he wouldn't pick up that second yellow uh so especially considering his previous track record of being able just to stay on the right side of that line were you surprised at just just how rash a challenge that was at the end 
Uh, yeah, thank you for, for stealing my uh, stat there. 199 appearances. It was due to be number 200 on, on Saturday. Won't now be. Um, and hadn't had a red card, certainly for Aberdeen. I, I couldn't tell you whether or not he'd had one at Inverness. If he hadn't, then fair play. But it was because he was frequently booked, obviously, and often booked quite early on in games. It, it was a skill to, involve, to avoid getting involved again quite so much. Now, the first booking is the one I'd maybe have a question over because it, obviously if he said something untoward then we don't know that and we don't know what he said whether it merits a yellow card but you know I, he's got the captain armband arm on him I, I think that entitles you to go to the referee and at least ask why wasn't that a free kick but again we don't know exactly what was said whether it deserved a yellow card for that or not or whether you're just looking at a referee that uh Felt intimidated and uh, decided to, in a sort of petty way, lay down the law and book Shinny for that. So, right at the death, I, I think things got, and um, to be fair, it's um, your old mucker, Chris, in the um, P&G today. Uh, I got in before the paywall and uh, read his uh, read his opinion on it. And he makes the point that it, it, it played out as it did for Shinny's second yellow card because we hadn't exerted the proper control in the game because it was still in the balance going into the last couple of minutes. So Shinny feels it's absolutely necessary to go across and try and block a long, aimless punt forward from their right-back, right-centre-half, whoever it was. Um, arrives a little bit too late, picks up a, on a yeah, second yellow card, which I don't think anyone can have really any complaints about that yellow card. I mean, it's not going to injure him. It's one of these where you're trying to block the ball and you catch him on the follow-through. <sighs> Yeah, it was um, it was unnecessary in a way, but you can understand why a player like Graham Shinney would do that. And it is very much a case that when he was in his first spell at Aberdeen, it was something he was very, very, very good at uh, managing to avoid, managing to keep in the moment a bit better, I suppose. So slightly reckless, uh, slightly unnecessary. But again, done in the pursuit of trying to maintain that clean sheet and trying to maintain those three points. So while he didn't manage to stay on the park for the entirety of the game, uh, he, he at least uh, was happy to know that we were able to hold on to those three points at the end of the day. So um, headaches maybe for next weekend, which we'll come on to later on in the podcast. But for now, a, a brief interlude as we go into... Uh, what may now be a more regular segment than uh, in previous months, uh, the the Northern Lights. So this is where we give, um, in in this case, one of our co-hosts, um, and in other cases, uh, regular guests, the the opportunity to reminisce about uh, a particularly fond memory or moment that they've had in their Aberdeen supporting careers. And today, I'm glad to say it's the the turn of Martin Clunas to give us his northern light. Thank you. Right. Well, I'm going to pick somebody who was one of my, you know, when I, when I, when I got to sort of 12 or 13, he was one of my first heroes at Aberdeen. Um, and that's the amazing Duncan Shearer. Um, joined in Aberdeen from Blackburn in 1992 for half a million quid. I mean, imagine, you know, imagine getting someone like Duncan Shearer with that for half a million quid. You know, you can you can hear people in the pub moaning saying you wouldn't get that nowadays, would you? 
87 goals in his five seasons at Aberdeen. Um, played for Aberdeen when we had an absolute abundance of unbelievable attack and talent. I mean, truthfully, I could be easily sitting here talking about Jess, Booth, Dodds, or even Big Mixu. Um, but as a young fan, what I absolutely loved about Big Dunk was just he just he just he scored goals. He just no he, he just always seemed to you know those first two seasons he just always seemed to score. Um first season 92 93 27 a season after that 26 goals. Uh just an unbelievable return. Um when you think of the names that you know he was playing along with as well who were back, who were knocking in goals as well you know what a, what an attacking you know, force we were. Um you know you look at you look at some of the spells he had at Aberdeen, you know, famously um, he scored six goals in four days for us um, in November 92. Um, Hartrick in the infamous rearranged snow game away at Partick. And then four days later, um, Hearts appear at Pataudry and, and you know, do what Hearts always do and they take a spanking and we rattle six by them. Um, and yeah, two hat ricks in this two hat ricks in the space of four days. Uh, he was vital to the second place finishes in both um, in both those in well those first season. Um, frustratingly, coming second to the Huns, of course, in all competitions in that first season, but that can't diminish his contribution. Um, just a wonderful striker to watch. Of course, he was part of the well-worn out and well-discussed 94-95 season where Aberdeen didn't have their troubles to seek, uh, where it all seemed to go wrong for us. Um, obviously, if you want to hear more about that, we did a podcast on it a couple of years back, and I'm sure Richard can link it. <laughs> um, but there he was in that first leg of the playoff against Dunfermline. Yet again, he always cro- you know, when it mattered, he got goals for us. Two goals when we needed him. Seals a 3-1 victory in the first leg, basically to pretty much almost seal the tie for us. Scored the clinching goal in the League Cup final in 1995 for us, which unbelievably for this football club was our last trophy for 19 years, um, which you know meant that he was he was even more fondly remembered. After that, the starts were less frequent. Frequent. Found himself found himself unfortunately moving to Inverness. I think Roy Aitken moved him on, but to 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 us and to me, I'd re- it really really taken him to to my heart and probably our hearts. I can say, trademark celebration, trademark song, which you know, on boozy buses away buses to games, still gets dusted off now and again, around about Christmas time. Not many players announced themselves the way he did. You know, we got him from Blackburn. Where where he'd been before that, he'd been at Swindon. He'd scored in Huddersfield. He'd scored goals whenever he'd had a run of games and played, you know, a serious amount of games. He'd scored goals, and not many players announced themselves the way he did when he came to Aberdeen. Two goals in his debut, just gave us a glimpse of what was to come. You know, there were two tap-ins against Hibs that day. You know, he was rarely rarely flashy, but as I said, what I loved about him was. He just scored goals. What a striker he was. And that's one of my my Aberdeen heroes and my Northern Light for tonight is Big Duncan Shearer. Thanks, Martin. Some fantastic memories of 
Duncan Shearer from his time at the club. Just thinking back to when he first joined, first of all, as as you mentioned, you think back to some of the striking talent that we had available to us at the time um, and uh, not to bring too uh, low uh, a, a light to this, but the, the never again 94-95 season, I can never quite reconcile myself with the fact that that was a team that had the striking striking abilities of Duncan Shearer, Ian Jess, Scott Booth and Billy Dodds. It seems incredible that we ever got ourselves in that kind of position. But my, my fondest memory of Duncan Shearer's time is absolutely that 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 goal in the 95 Coca-Cola Cup final. Um, just, just at the start of the second half, uh, a fantastic ball on the left wing from Stephen Glass. And Duncan Shearer gets in between the two central defenders and bullets a header into the far corner. Um, and and I, while I fondly remember it, my uh, my my mucker uh, Chris Crichton did not because um, I, I I regaled my story last week of Copenhagen and missing a goal because I was busy dishing out the pies. Um, this was the, the other way around. Um, Chris wasn't back from getting the halftime pies at Hamden, and and he actually missed the second goal because it became so so early in the, in the second half. But yeah, an absolute predator in front of goal. Um, we we're quite chuffed, or we have been quite chuffed in previous seasons. If you can get a striker just getting into double figures, and in those first couple of seasons, Duncan was effortlessly getting in the twenties every season. So um, maybe those that will remember going far enough back to the likes of Frank McDougall. But from, from my time, I can't really think of a, a striker with who is, who is more clinical in front of goal and had a better strike rate than Duncan. Richard, any particular fond memories from you? I just remember it was quite a protracted chase for him at the outset. I think Willie Mother had identified him immediately upon taking charge of the club and tried to get him that, uh, that Easter uh, 1992. Uh, this is before the days of transfer windows. Uh, there was a sort of transfer deadline at the end of March, beginning of April. Um, so I think he tried to sign him from Swindon, I think it was, around that time. But he ended up going to Blackburn instead. Blackburn and Swindon were actually both challenging to win uh, the Division 2, I guess, as it was back then. Or was it maybe uh, Division 1 beneath the Premier League? To get up to the Premier League. But Blackburn had Jack Walker's money behind them. So, so I think they were signing Shearer both to their squad, absolutely, but also to kind of weaken Swindon as well. Uh, we'd been in the we'd been in the offing forum at that point, but it was the summer after Blackburn had uh, gone and bought, well, I suppose a slightly more uh, renowned Shearer uh, from Southampton that he then became available again. As far as I'm concerned, Blackburn. Um, kept the wrong one because uh, Duncan Shearer was a tremendous striker and uh, as Martin rightly points out you want to get off to a good start at your new club well Shearer absolutely did that didn't he because he was uh, on uh, on the mark twice in his debut against Tibbs and on the Wednesday night the next um, match he played he scored against Celtic at home and I think you know by the end of September he'd already had he was already into double figures it was a really uh, outrageous start and just really told you all you need to know about him as a football player and about just as Martin says likes to score goals um, that goal at Hamden by the way still the last goal that Aberdeen have scored in a winning cup situation 1995 there's only been there's only been one more there's only been one goal in hand in final since then and that was Johnny Hayes. 
against Celtic in 2017. So, quite a sobering thought. Uh, quite terrifying thought. Anyway, this is meant to be an upbeat section. <laughs> so, uh, it, uh, to end on an upbeat note, yeah, yeah just phenomenal. Phenomenal striker. Uh, just, just made you quite sad we hadn't got hold of him early in his career because there was interest in us uh, from us in him when he was a Highland League player and it, it never came to anything concrete. Um, but Ferguson maybe just didn't like the look of him, um, but he went down to Chelsea instead. Uh, on the fringes there, moves on to Swindon, but it just it, it would have been sort of incredible to see him develop maybe under the. Um, under the tutelage of the strikers that already existed at Pitodri at that point and to, to bring him through then. But uh, we got to see him eventually and it was uh, some impact he made in, in the sort of four years he was with us. Excellent. So moving on, on, on the subject of Ferguson, that notorious uh, failure of spotting of Highland talent, um, maybe, maybe less well-remembered for such faux pas, but certainly better remembered for one of the greatest moments in our club's history, which of course was the European Cup Winners' Cup victory in Gothenburg 40 years ago. Um, and in terms of uh, bang up today's new, bang up to date news rather, uh, the club announced earlier today that as part of their planned 40th anniversary celebrations um, and in conjunction with the wonderful uh, team at AFC Heritage Trust, uh, they have managed to successfully uh, apply to UEFA to have additional European Cup Winners Cup medals awarded to those who didn't receive one in the final. So um, they've confirmed that of those six people, the aforementioned Sir Alex will be one of those, together with uh, Archie Knox, Dougie Bell, one to go to the Donald family, uh, Chris Anderson and Teddy Scott. So maybe going to Richard first. Um, it's certainly a, a fantastic gesture and it will be something that will be very well received in, in these parts, perhaps slightly tinged with uh, a, a, a bit of sadness that a, a number of the people uh, who will be recognised are, are sadly no longer with us. But nonetheless, um, a, a nice a nice gesture to be uh, formally uh, awarding medals to acknowledge their, their roles in what was our greatest triumph. Yeah, it makes you wonder what UEFA's criteria was at the time and is now that um, it's just six additional me medals because obviously there were guys who, who played a part in the lead-up uh, in games ahead of that which, who couldn't feature. I think Duke Bell's the, the one, obviously. Um, it was a, a surprising act of generosity um, and rather out of character from Alex Ferguson to put Stuart Kennedy on the bench when Stuart Kennedy couldn't play any part um, in that final. It wasn't able to play again for the Dons, unfortunately, or anybody, unfortunately. Um, but I suppose it was a bit of a novelty back then, uh, having the flexibility to have five people on the bench in those European ties. So maybe he felt that he could he could justify that. But he had two players who had um, featured prominently along the way who uh, were missing out from that final. And his, his justification for... Um, not putting Doug Bell on the bench that evening was because Doug Bell would have other opportunities to play in European finals. Uh, that's the level we were operating at back then. Uh, that there would be uh, potential other opportunities for Doug Bell to play. Uh, as it as it panned out, well, we did have the uh, Super Cup, obviously, but um, there was never another 
uh, knockout European final for Digbell to play in. Um, he's remembered most fondly, of course, for that uh, first leg against Watershy, which was um, which was quite mesmeric. But Digbell did feature in the Super Cup against Hamburg, so he would have at least got a medal out of that one. Uh, it's um, I think it's a story of perseverance. I think it's uh, it's great work from those tireless individuals at the Heritage Trust. The amount of work that uh, they and uh, Chris among them do for the club is um, it, it goes unnoticed by a lot of the support. Um, the sort of front-facing thing that we see the most, I suppose, is the website, which is just a just an incredible treasure trove of knowledge about the Dons and for nerds like myself it's uh, nirvana um but this is this is a contribution uh, a vital contribution for for those individuals i think deciding who was and who wasn't going to get a get a medal in these scenarios um you can't deny the, the contribution that the donald family have made overall and chris anderson made to the club but obviously you know there were other players that played in the lead up to lead up to those games maybe didn't feature quite so prominently uh, beyond the 16 that were actually on the bench but you, know, you had the likes of Willie Falconer who played in Watershy for example and then there are now just two players uh, two individuals not players two individuals who were on that bench um, in Gothenburg that night who, who won't have medals now and they were uh, Roland Arnett uh, the physio and uh, the doctor Dr Cato uh, so that's a little bit of uh, Don's trivia for you but um Good work all round, I think, from Duncan Fraser and Chris Gavin to pursue this, um, to get this done in a very timely fashion ahead of the 40th celebrations as well. So uh, good stuff all round. Yeah, good stuff all round. And and Martin, it, it is a good point that um, it maybe just speaks to a, a dif different era that when medals were dished out 40 years ago it was clearly just given to those that were involved in the match day squad i mean na nowadays i think we're used to um if you were you know wearing a football top in in a halloween party at the club's Christ you know or at a club's christmas do then that entitles you to a league winner's medal um so um maybe just a, a sign of the times but i don't think anybody would be begrudge uh those awardees um and as you say while it it, it may well have been an arbitrary cut off where exactly that ends um it will certainly be something that we can uh look forward to celebrating in the weeks to come no absolutely definitely I and mean, you know as you say richly deserved um for all of them um it's it just shows that it just shows how how, how far footballs came in 40 years where you know they, they would it was so strict on you know how how they qualified qualified who would deserve one one of these medals where and as you say now i think i don't know i don't know if it's still something like is it is it's 10 six appearances 10 appearances or something if it's a league thing um and you see you know you look at now and you see some of the some of the the english or european teams have got you no know, their bench has got about you no know, nine or ten guys in tracksuits who are just assistants and things like that and you know you've got squads i know 25 30 boys so they're dishing out you know they're dishing out 45 45 50 medals to people <laughs> and you know in the we're we're no now you know 40 years later and um, people who really you know, deserve them because there could be no question that the six the six medals that are going to be dished out when when they do come back 
and they get them. Um, I believe it's going to be on the, the fr- they're going to be presented on the Friday, um, um, at the, the ceremony they're having at Petodria. But I think I read so there could be no question those six are absolutely you no know, more than justified in getting. Um, and it's it's thoroughly deserved and can't echo what Richard says enough. You know the Heritage Trust, you know absolutely excellent work. Um, if you don't. If you don't visit that website and check out some stuff now and again, you really should because it is you know, fanta- a fantastic treasure trove of information and data for any Don's nerd. It absolutely is. And if for no other reason, I always enjoy going onto the website because it always gives you an update of what happened in that particular day. And it's always... And obviously, as as the, the good people at Here, Here We Go do on their Twitter feed as well, but it is always uh, good to be able to go onto the site and... Um, either reminisce about things that we were involved with in recent memory or just to do a little bit of research in, in relation to some of the fantastic endeavours that the football club had been involved in in, in the far past. We are, we are merely standing on the shoulders of the uh, statistical, statistical giants that uh, are the Heritage Trust. Very magnanimous of you, Richard. So, we were talking about the upcoming celebrations for our 40th uh, anniversary of our Gothenburg triumph, triumph, but that that is in slightly further future. Um, in our immediate uh, headlights is a game on Saturday with the the visit of Derek McInnes's Kilmarnock. So we ended our review of the Johnston game with uh, a bit of discussion on Graham Shinney sending off, uh, and that will obviously now be pertinent in relation to what we. Uh, what we do on Saturday and how we line up. So uh, I'll maybe start with you, Richard. Uh, a couple of questions. First of all, how do we change the personnel and the lineup in the absence of our captain? And um, who do you think is going to be made the skipper in his absence? I, well, I hadn't thought about the captain question, um, which we will come to. But in terms of who's going to replace him, I, if available, and I know that he wasn't in the... Uh, how many is it now? Is it 20? Uh, Match day 20 uh, that uh, were stripped for Perth, um, but he has been in the squad uh, in recent weeks. Connor Barron is who I would go with. Um, now, Barry did actually give Connor his first start uh, last year against St Johnston at home in the game that he had in charge there. So, so I think we know that uh, Barry does rate him. And I think it's really important just for, for us as a club and, and really for Connor as well to... Um, Get him back on track and let him understand exactly what's going to happen. Obviously, he's out of contract at the end of next season. Um, talks on a new Don deal stalled, uh, partly because he had reported interest from elsewhere, from Brentford and Celtic, two not inconsiderable names, let's be honest. And maybe also partly because we've been in a bit of a state. Um, we need to make sure that we are an attractive destination for our young talent to want to showcase their skills and hopefully we can get back to becoming that in the seasons to come so if fit and available I would go with Connor Barron um, I'm not saying it's a blessing to have Shinny out but I do think that at home to Kilmarnock um, I, I think it need it, it's less about winning the midfield battle with tough tackling as it might be away from home or in some of the higher pressure home matches um, they're a side who don't travel well anyway and I think maybe with a with a more forward thinking blend in the midfield, um, maybe that's not quite such a bad thing. Now, if Baron isn't available, personally, I probably 
would go for Patrick Maslovich. Um, argument would be that we have to see what he's about at some point before the end of a season with this um, agreement in principle reached to, to bring him here permanently in the summer. But of course, his one start so far was at Darville, where he was, among many, to be fair, totally anonymous. Um, so that's more of a balance for me. I'd, I I would definitely prefer to see Connor Barron start and then Connor Barron begin his rehabilitation towards becoming a first-team player at Aberdeen because there's a really good footballer in Connor Barron. He's got the basics down pat. I think he's taken a lot of unnecessary stick um, for his performances to date this season at a time when the team as a whole wasn't doing so well. Um, so I, I think it's really get important to get him back in the fold, uh, just more generally anyway. I wouldn't, I'd be less keen on a sort of shuffle that allowed McCrory to go into the centre of the park. I know a lot of people like his energy and his tackling, but I think he's been quite settled at right back lately. And I think he's got limitations in the centre of the park, which were getting ex- exposed uh, when he was playing in there. And I was advocating for him to move to right back, right wing back. Um, I'm glad it's happened. I think he's been performing fine there. And I think the balance he brings there is is necessary for the team as well. However, you could do that, of course. That would be a more, I suppose, direct replacement for Shinny's energy. Uh, and then you're looking at Jaden Richardson or Matty Kennedy coming in at right wing back. Um, if... Barry goes that route. I, I, again, I would prefer to see Jaden Richardson come in. I think you're looking at a guy we spent money for that's here on a long-term deal. Matty Kennedy is um, out of contract at the end of the season. Doesn't appear to be in Barry's plans, really. Um, hasn't featured much in the last few weeks whilst things have gone back on track. Maybe that's a coincidence. Maybe it's not a coincidence. Um, so, in order of preference, that's my one, two, three, four, I guess. Oh, you want captain as well. Um, I'm, I'm a demanding host. Well, I, I'm kind of loath to say that captaincy isn't really that important, but um, I, I do think that Shinny has made a difference, just having that focal point in there. I think it's it's captaincy is not that important unless you have a really bad captain who the fans despise, like Anthony Stewart. Um, <laughs> I suppose McCrory is still vice captain, isn't he? I think he was. He's been getting the armband a couple of times. Chinny's been subbed off, so I suppose it's probably him. Yeah, I was trying to remember who might have got the armband after Chinny went got sent off last Saturday, but I think he maybe never took it off. I'll give you the same opportunity to give your views on how you think we may be adjusting our lineup in the absence of Graham Chinny. But the the discussion around Connor Bannon is interesting because it's been. A really curious case, hasn't it? Um, it was only 12 months ago that when Barry Robson took interim charge uh, following the departure of Stephen Glass, he handed Connor Barron his debut uh, start. And at that time, he kind of seized the opportunity with both hands and went on to become probably one of our most uh, fundamental players for the tail end of last season. Uh, and now fast forward to now... Um, not only was he not getting a run in the team in the tail end of Jim Goodwin's days, but when Barry Robson came in came in for his what was now his second stint, I actually thought Connor Barron might have been one of the players that benefited from that. But um, he is he has resolutely kept him parked on the bench. So any any thoughts on whether this might now be 
his opportunity and and and, and what's gone wrong prior to now? It definitely, I mean, it definitely is a, is an opportunity for him, and I, I'd like if 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 he's fit and he's if he's fit and he's available, um, then I'd I'd like to see that would be option one for me, um, would be him coming in, um, because you know, I've said many times I'm a big I'm a big fan of his, and I want to, I want to see him do well. You know, it's no secret that you know I've said so many times on this, but that as fans, obviously, you want to win games, you want to get trophies, all that stuff, but you want to do it with no if if you can do it with. We kind of will with no young 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 players doing it for you as well. Then it's it, it's a bit of a you know like young Scottish players I should say that it's a bit it's it makes it a bit sweeter as well. And you know Barron's an undoubted talent. There's no, but I think Richard really hit the nail on the head. See when when we were a bit of a shambles, um you know I think he started you no know, he was sort of, he got he lost his way a little a little bit. Um, I'd like to think that you know. That Barry Robson is capable of getting, you know, dare I say, the best out of him again. I mean, I know, I know, Robson wasn't exactly in charge for, you know, a long spell, but you'd like to think that, you know, he he's he's obviously worked he's obviously worked with him before he was in the first team. He gave him his, he gave him his proper debut, um. So I would like to think that. I mean, it's the, the it's it's a, it's a worry obviously that he's you know, that he's drifted away out but i think it's just because you know, young that can happen to young players you know when you know it's if it's a confidence thing you know because there's, there's as i say there's no question on the ability he has so you you would you would assume um and again you know, we don't have any sort of in the know knowledge on transfers or you know contracts and things like that so i'm not even going to pretend to know anything there so you just assume it's a confidence thing and you know, while the while the team was, for lack of a better term, really falling apart, you know, you've got a young a young guy in there, you know, try to try to like build his build his career, build his name, and he maybe and I think he just got lost a little little bit, um, and that's you know that's fair enough. I know I'm I'm not going to hold that against him, so I hope hopefully he's fully fit, hopefully he's ready, hopefully he'll be able to start on Saturday. I want to see him come in. I think you know, yeah, going forward. I think he maybe offers a little bit more than Shinny Wood having you know having having him in the centre there with you no know, if we're going to stick stick with the same formation having him sit him next to Ramadani um, would be would be something that I'd be quite I'd be quite happy with I'd be looking forward to um, yeah I'm not you know I'm not a huge fan of the idea of putting um, McCrory in the centre as well I think you know that I'm not really. I don't. I don't really. No, we, we need to find. We need to find where we can get the best out of Ross McCurry. And at the moment, even even with Shinny being out injured, out suspended, sorry. And I know he isn't our player, but you know he's going to be here till the end of the season. I don't want to see McCrory being in there. I think you know be. You'll you'll be keeping keeping where he's been playing, and we'll have we'll get we'll get Barron in there, and I think with doing that, he can do well. So Richard, on the subject of teams that have fallen apart. Um, I think you could probably see Hearts are currently in that position at the moment after having had a, a bit of a catastrophic, catastrophic run of form. Um, and the most recent uh, terrible result of theirs was a, a 2-1 defeat to our upcoming opposition, Kilmarnock. So at a time where Aberdeen are in, well, not even arguably, definitely their best run of form for um, a number of years, four consecutive league wins on the trot, it's... It's so important at a time where uh, Hearts are currently drifting. We're now only one point behind them. They'll be playing St Mirren on Saturday, um, so they're the teams immediately 
sandwiching a sit in the moment. So um, one, if not both of those teams are going to lose points. Um, and with a home game upcoming against a, a previously struggling Kilmarnock, three points are absolutely vital. But maybe that result last weekend for Kilmarnock is just a, a reminder that's maybe not going to be quite as straightforward as we'd maybe assumed. Yeah, it is, and to use one of the most terrible football cliches in a book, all about one match at a time. And the next challenge is Kilmarnock at home. Now, Kilmarnock are one of the, even in a league which is festooned with poor travellers, Kilmarnock, I think, might have the worst record of them all. So the the, the difference between their home and away form, I think I read a stat that they've taken something like 92% of their points at home or something like that. It's it's a ridiculous imbalance, as I say, even in a league which is full of teams that cannot do it away from home. Ourselves, obviously included in that, Hearts as well, Hibs. The reason that no one's clear in third right now is because no one can put together any sort of form away from home. Hearts have been very, very good at home. Whether the confidence has been sufficiently dented over the past few weeks and St Mirren are going well, that they drop points against them, well, we can but hope. But we just have to take care of our business. The important fact coming out of of the results on Saturday is that third is now in our hands. It's tangible. It's there for us. Obviously, we're all assuming here that neither Inverness, Cali Thistle or Falkirk do go on and win the Scottish Cup. It would be terribly Aberdeen for us to haul back an 11-point deficit on Hearts to take third place and then watch that happen in the Cup final. But let's just do it game by game. Let's take the points that we need to take against Kilmarnock. Let's see if we can get a better display and better performance then in the next game away from home against Ross County, which will be difficult, but it's on the Friday night. It therefore gives you an, uh, an opportunity to put a bit of pressure on the teams playing on the Saturday by getting a res- result on points on the board. Um, and then you've got uh, a game before the split that kind of takes care of itself. So, And I'm fully aware that I talked about taking one game at a time and have now talked about the next three games, but there we are. Well, having talked about the next three games, Martin, I'll just bring you back to the, the, the immediate game in hand. And as Richard was alluding to, it's something where it would be typical of um, an Aberdeen, Aberdeen teams of recent past, having done all of the hard work to dig themselves out of a hole and get themselves back into touching distance of third just to uh, take a, a gigantic step backwards and fail to get a result against Kilmarnock. Are you... Are, are you sufficiently buoyed by our recent run of league form that you're not too worried about it? Or is that uh, eternal pessimist lurking in the background? You, I'm, I'm the positive one on this podcast, aren't I? I suppose just I was maybe we talk about the generic northeast pessimism, but uh, <laughs> no, I don't want to um, cast any aspersions, Martin. You know, um, no, f- four, four league wins in a row. Um, What's, what, no, I'm not, I'm not going to say it. I, no, I was going to jokingly say, what's, what's <laughs> what, what could possibly go wrong now? Yeah, I was jokingly going to say, what's there to worry about? But obviously, that would be a stupid thing to say um, because you know what happens when you tempt fate in that way. Um, but yeah, you, you, we, should, we should be, we should, you know, the, the, the team of, you know, should be confident. We should be confident that they can do it. You know, we've, we've had some, you know, we've had good results. You know, if we can. If we can repeat the type of performance that we had in that first half against against Hearts, you know, for you know for for spells in the during the the rest of the season, or even just like like Richard says, one game at a time, we can do that on Saturday. We'll be we'll be fine, and we'll be coming away with three points. Um, it's just about 
as we kind of said earlier, it's about this is about being professional now. It's no, this isn't the t- time of the season to be worrying about you know playing beautiful, expansive attacking football. You know, it, that'd be great to see, but let's get the results. Um, there's a lot at stake, and as you know, Richard pointed out on the feed on Saturday, this is in our hands now. You know, all we have to do, it. You know, we are one point behind Hearts. You know, this is it's it's t- tangible. It's right there. It can be done. Um, you know, it was it it was seemingly gone. You know, everybody had decided that you know hearts were going to be hearts were going to be third, and we were going to be sitting in the bottom six and probably scrambling for relegation. And you know, look at the turnaround we've had. You no, know, we've done this, um, and it's you know, it's you know, despite the fact that we've had an awful record, I think we've lost fourteen games this season. Um, but there we are, one point behind third, and all the and all the, the the riches and the European opportunities that brings. Um, so while I'm not, you know, doing cartwheels and, you know, I, I haven't, I haven't, I'm not sitting on Skyscanner right now with my passport at the ready, but <laughs> third, third is on. I think it's, 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 it's very possible, but got to be one game at a time. Got to be super professional, get, you no know, and get past these teams. You no, know, Kilmarnock, you know, are, are, are a poor, poor team. Um, sitting tenth, you know, bad result after bad result. Pray, I think they're really praying for the end of the season, um, given I think they're four or five ahead of eleventh. So you know, they're probably they're just looking to trying to get the season seasons seen out, whereas we we genuinely have you know something really, you know, proper to play for. And I just uh, I'm I'm confident enough that I definitely think we can do it. But you know, one game at a time. Let's be professional. Uh, let's get there. Absolutely. And on that note, I think that's everything we'll be covering on this episode of the Here We Go podcast. So all that remains is for me to thank, uh, first of all, Richard Hay. Thank you very much, Martin. Uh, I hope your first time hosting was as gentle and touching and meaningful as uh, it's meant to be. Well, when I get an opportunity, if I get an opportunity to do my next Northern Light, it'll be this very moment. And Martin Clunas. Thank you very much, Martin. It's been a pleasure. Excellent. And so all that remains is for me to say, come on, you Reds. Come on, you Reds.